All right, so we have to start out this uh, podcast addressing some comments that we got on the last episode, which was the Bobby Fisher episode. I believe at one point that I equated uh, someone in the show to Qui-Gon Jinn. Yeah. And we got a very hateful message saying that Qui-Gon Jinn is a good Jedi because he uses the Force more than his blade, blah, blah, blah. He only lost to Darth Maul because he was a was a sentinel or what i don't know some nerd was real upset about it i'm just gonna say this if he wasn't as good as a sword master because he was better at the force then why didn't he just use the force to defeat darth maul the only time i I remember him doing anything force related was when he sat down and took a little rest in between those two things and closed his eyes and i'm not sure what that was supposed to do (laughs) no that was just him chilling he was he I, listen, I love Liam Neeson. I love Qui-Gon Jinn. But if I'm like going up against like a, a Sith and I need a good Jedi in my corner, like with me, I'm not picking Qui-Gon. He's at no. the end of my list. I'm going Mace Bad Windu. Jedi. Oh, Base Windu for sure. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to I Really Wish You Hadn't. Uh, this week it is me here, Cayman McMahon, your host as always, with my other host who's always here, Michael Bentley. Hey, I'm also here too. Yeah, and as always here, making sound work and stuff sound good, our producer, Colin Moore. I'm always here. Yeah, so we're, we're all, always all... here. Isn't that crazy how we all have that in common? <laughs> we're here, always here, here. In your phone. Uh, <laughs> we live here now. We live here. <laughs> so this week we're talking about a couple failed devices. Uh, we wanted to do a failed device because it seems like it's been a while since we've done a tech episode. I think maybe the last one was BlackBerry. Have we done one since then? God. Uh, it's been a long yeah, time since we did yeah, tech. Might, yeah. So instead of just finding Blackberry, one. Hold on. Is BlackBerry our only tech episode? Uh, no, because we did Blockbuster, we did Sega, we did... But those are... Oh, yeah, Sega, Sega, Sega was later count. than... Yeah, Sega's yeah. tech, yep. Anyways, so we're doing tech again this week, and we are doing a topic of augmented reality. If you don't know what augmented reality is, it's essentially where... Michael, explain with your nerd talk. Well, so I have a whole bit in my topic where I go into the differences <laughs> okay. between virtual and augmented reality. So All we right, will get great. there. If you're confused now... Save your questions. We will have time for Q&A at the end. Yeah, so we're covering augmented reality today, and I believe the first topic that we're discussing is going to be Michael's. So, Michael, let's just jump right into it. Yeah, so today we're talking about the Virtual Boy. And if you don't know what the Virtual Boy is, congratulations. Basically, so Nintendo in the early 90s came out with this VR headset. Hold up, Nintendo's that company that makes playing cards, right? Yep. Like. Yep. Well, they've done they've done some stuff since then. Reggie, uh, they, they made... Reggie, yes, Reggie's there too. Uh, you may know them from the uh, hit Nintendo Wii that everyone's grandmother owned for some reason. Um, I love the Wii. But so in the early '90s, um, they started showing off this device called the Virtual Boy, which was a pair of goggles that you wore on your face for gaming purposes. So before we get started talking about the Virtual Boy. I've got to give a huge shout out to fastcompany.com who did the definitive postmortem on the Virtual Boy. Like basically there is almost no information out there about the development of the Virtual Boy or, you know, the people involved. 
fastcompany.com has a great article that I highly recommend you checking out if you're interested in this topic. It is, like I said, it is the go-to source for the history of the Virtual Boy. Not a sponsor. We have no sponsors. Gotta no. point that out. <laughs> no one gives us money. Um, no. But no, I'm just citing them as like the main source for the story. Um, also, for a fun game at home, try to count how many references to previous episodes are in this story. Like, it's baffling. Like, I kept getting deeper into it, and then I'd hear a name, and I'd be like, wait a minute, I know that name. And then it's like, oh, yeah, they're from this company. And I'm like, we, we've done that company. Like, this is awesome. Honestly, at, at some points, I feel like we only cover one topic, and I don't know what that topic is, but everything it's, dances it's around Richard it. Nixon. Everything between Nixon and Sega and, like, everything just revolves around one one unified topic that I will has say, no name. Richard Nixon is not one of the topics that comes up in the story. Ah, damn it. So, um, <laughs> so anyway, the story of the Virtual Boy starts as many great stories do, with the inconveniences of flying coach. What? With the inconveniences of flying coach. Oh, like cars. Or like planes. Uh, <laughs> <man>. <laughs> Off to a rough start already. Planes. Flying, flying coach. Yeah. Coach. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like the cheap seats like on an airplane back. for those of you that may have never flown before. <laughs> don't, they're they don't not comfortable. I... <laughs> not comfortable. Yeah. Okay. Nothing like a they're car. They're loud. The food's I'm, bad. They're I'm not it's speed. not a good experience, Cayman. Do you do you understand now? <laughs> I'm not sure if I've ever flown anything that's not coach. So to yeah, me, it's just flying. I either. <laughs> yeah, it's flying. But but what I'm saying is, you know, you get to walk past all the people at first class and they get to look at you like you're an alien. And you're like, Ugh, go back to where you belong. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, so so in the 1980s, there's an MIT engineer named Alan Becker who is flying coach, also known as economy class, also known as the only seats we can afford. Um, and he's uncomfortable in his airline seat. He's like, Ugh, like, and he starts thinking, what if I could wear a device that could take me virtually anywhere? Like, literally anywhere that isn't where I am right now. Um, <laughs> I gotta get out of here. I gotta, yeah. I gotta Basically, go Basically, he's else. like, how can, I, how can I use technology to, make, to trick me into not believing that I'm on a plane? So he starts kicking around that idea, um, and he was like, you know, if I could just like wear a virtual screen on my face, maybe I could trick my brain into thinking that that's reality, right? And since there's no name for that concept, let's just call it virtual reality, right? Right. Reality virtually. Because again, this is the 1980s. Like, that is a completely foreign concept. The main issue is display technology in the 1980s is horrible. Because remember, uh, you know, if you're old enough to remember old fatback TVs, they weighed a thousand pounds, and you wouldn't need one, you would actually need two of them strapped to your face in order to get like a true 3D effect because each eye needs an independent image. And this is back when capacitors were the same size as like a corn cob, pretty yeah, much. exactly. Like, so like... There wasn't micro technology. Yeah, nothing had been shrunk down. LCDs and LEDs weren't really an option for display. So basically what I'm saying is if you did strap one of these things to your face, you're looking at like two tons uh, on your neck, which never good. You're, what, you're looking at a good trip to the chiropractor. Exactly, yeah. Um, so instead, Becker thought back to some work that he had done on a document scanner, like an early document scanner. 
Um, the way the tech worked was it had a single LED array, and it reflected across the document to digitize the image. So basically, it would just like scan back and forth using this LED to, to, to scan the document in. And he theorized that he could do something similar, but rather than using that LED to read a document, it could essentially print an image directly onto your eyeball. That sounds totally safe. Well, and we'll get into the uh, the medical implications of that later. Um, but he was like, you know, I mean, what's the difference, right? I mean, so with this idea, Becker left MIT and founded Reflection Technology, called Reflection Technology, as a play on the fact that there was a mirror that would oscillate inside the device to reflect that image onto your eyeball. Wait, so this guy was a student? No, he was an engineer at MIT. Oh, okay. So yeah. he wasn't a student that dropped out, so you know no, he's not no, going to no, be no. successful. Exactly. If he, if he right. was a student that dropped out, we would all be wearing virtual boys today. Right. Uh, so Reflection Technology didn't set out to create an entertainment device. Like, even though that was Becker's original inspiration, he was like, consumer devices are not where the money is, basically. And I don't, I don't want to say that he was in it entirely for the money, but if you're, if you're starting a business as a little piece of advice, you want to shoot for selling it to businesses you want you want b2b business because that's where you, you you can sell the same device to a business versus a consumer for like 10 times the cost oh and that will come up multiple times yeah well it will come up very soon yeah so anyway uh, becker also believed that the real utility like where where this could really help people would be either in the industrial space or in the service space uh, and he decided that the target would be people who worked with their hands, like doctors and field service engineers. Uh, basically, his idea was he could create a heads-up display where, like, you're doing surgery and you don't have to look up to see the person's vitals, right? It's printed right there on your face, right? Right. And it's a great idea on paper. And in fact, it sounds like, Cayman, you're going to get into this too. But, no, that's uh, a great idea. That's very visionary. Yeah, it's, it is a great idea, and it's such a great idea that companies are still continuing to try to make it viable to this day. Yeah. For instance, Microsoft is currently working on the HoloLens, and it basically started out as like a consumer device that they're now trying to market more towards, Yeah. like like what I said, right? Doctors and, and technicians and that, that kind of idea. I don't know how it's going. I haven't checked in on the HoloLens in a hot minute, but maybe it'll be another episode. But spoiler alert. This is an idea that 40 years later is still being kicked around. So this, this technology is early on in its infancy, and it is not really taking off. Right. Regardless, Becker didn't know this, so he creates a prototype called the Private Eye and starts shopping it around at different tech conferences. And it got a lot of good press. Like, for instance, they got write-ups in Popular Science. Like, they were getting a lot of buzz, of uh, publicity, uh, and they were selling development kits for five thousand dollars, uh, and they were able to sell around a hundred units to different companies. Now, development kits is like here's the hardware you can code for it, that sort of thing. Right. It's it's kind of an open an open device where you can yeah run your own code on it and and build out new applications. Because that's the thing is, especially with new hardware, if you don't have other companies developing software for it. It's never going to take off. Like, and we'll get into it later. If you're trying, if you're the only person trying to make all the hardware and software, yeah, it might be good for profits, but you need a lot of manpower. So, for instance, Activision probably already has a PlayStation Six, and they're yeah, good. exactly, and they're, they're making yeah. games for it right now. Actually, no, they didn't even get a PS Five because the PS Five came out and no games were coming out for it so yeah, that's that's a that's a sidetrack that's how products <laughs> yeah. should be done is you make the hardware give it to developers they develop stuff for it and then you release it right 
I mean, yeah. I still can't get a PS5, so it doesn't matter that there's no games. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's no point. there's there's no PS5, so why would right, I get yeah. for it? So one of the companies that got one of these development kits was Hughes Aircraft, who believed that the tech could be beneficial to pilots by basically giving them their entire um, measurements. <laughs> Colin, what's the word for that? I wouldn't uh, say it would just be like their instruments. Instruments. You can see their yeah. instruments. Who, who, who could give all the uh, instrumentation readings, um, basically, without having to look at anything? Who knew that it would be beneficial for us to have a pilot involved with the uh, with the podcast? I'm not. Well, I'm only kind of a pilot. <laughs> Colin is a FA or F. Yeah, FA licensed pilot. No, uh, FA licensed drone operator. I'm a certified drone small pilot. unmanned aerial system pilot. <laughs> Oh, he is a pilot. So anyway, there's there's reference number one. We we've talked about Hughes Hughes Aircraft. We have talked about Hughes Aircraft. Obviously, Howard Hughes, um, who was famous for uh, sleeping with a lot of women and not showering. <laughs> yeah, but hating germs. Okay. However, none of these dev kits ever amounted to anything in the realm of new software for the tech. And that's the thing is is not only were they looking for new software. They were licensing this technology to be used in other hardware. So, for instance, if if Hughes Aviation wanted to make like a a, a helmet that that read these things out, they could use the private eye technology. So they're 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 open to a lot of things. Basically, anything that would make the money flow in. Right. But nothing ever came of it. See, I think that's weird. You can take our innovation and make your own tech out of it. Seems like a bad business model. Well, I mean, like you're that, licensing it, right? Like, I mean, yeah, I guess that's fair. A lot of things do that. Like, take, yeah. like Bluetooth is an excellent example of something like that. Oh yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Is that's an open that's an open interface though, isn't it? You don't have to pay anybody to use Bluetooth. No, you have to license Bluetooth. Do you really? Wow. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's cheap, wow. but. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Um, so now, before we go on, this is where we need to draw a line in the sand and talk about augmented reality versus virtual reality. So. Everything that they're trying to do up to this point has been augmented reality. They want to take the reality that we're all living in right now and add elements to it. Like, for instance, you know, that that heads-up display for a doctor or another good example, if you play Pokemon Go, where you could see the Pokemon in our world, like, that's kind of an augmented reality. Um, oh. Basically, you're, you're adding on to what's already there. I mean, Whereas, Snapchat filters. That would be Snapchat augmented filters. reality. Great, yeah. AR, great AR example. Um, you're augmenting our current reality. Whereas virtual reality is completely substituting this reality with your own. So, you know, if you've ever gone over to somebody's house and they have one of those headsets uh, and you, you know, maybe Beat Saber, play Beat Saber. I don't know. That's a great game. Or, you know, I feel like a lot of VR isn't something we really need to explain, is it? Like, no, it's you're putting a screen on your face and you're living in the world that's in front of you. So that's the difference is is if you're completely outside of our reality, that's virtual reality. If you're supplementing our current reality, that's augmented reality. So everything that uh, reflection technologies have been doing up to this point has been augmented reality. Whereas I think augmented reality is cooler in a lot of ways because like you're adding to what's already there. But virtual reality is... It's more difficult to pull off, but if it's pulled off, it's a lot more immersive than yeah. augmented reality. Yeah, I agree. Well, and at this time, augmented reality is kind of the only option because you got to think it's the late 80s. Computation technology is so far behind, it's really hard to completely substitute reality. It's a lot easier to just like add elements to our current reality. Right. I mean, the internet wasn't even a thing. Exactly. So. Yeah. But it's a weird balance because... You know, at a certain point, 
it almost becomes harder to augment our current reality. But again, I'm not going to, that's a whole, that's a whole other topic. That's getting into like philosophy and we don't need to do that here. That's not this podcast. That's not what we're here for. (laughs) So anyway, that takes us into the early nineties when virtual reality, as we know it, is starting to take hold. And as such, reflection technology starts tinkering with a way to basically use two of their private eyes to completely substitute a new reality. So to start dabbling in virtual reality. Going back to the original idea that the dude had on the airplane, where he's like, I got to get out of here. Yeah. (laughs) Being on the beach. Um, So essentially printing onto both eyes. So when they do this by mounting two of the private eyes to uh, a welder's mask, which I think is kind of a weird image in your mind. If you've if you've seen a welder's mask and if you've seen the private eye, it's like it's it would Honestly, look weird. There's no pictures of it, but it's I'm sure it was with how like all of augmented reality just has super heavy like dystopian future vibes, and I feel like leaning into it is a good thing. Like yeah. if if you're gonna yeah. go dystopian, go full dystopian. I want Mad Max. I want 1984. <laughs> it's a nightmare. It looks like a nightmare. Um. <laughs> So with this new prototype, the team created a a tank driving simulation with working head tracking. So basically, like, if you turned your head left, you would see more of the simulation, you know, whatever it may be. And I say working very loosely. Uh, As Colin or I could tell you, uh, we we both are VR enthusiasts, Colin more than me, but if the head tracking in your VR headset is even slightly off, you are going to get very, very sick very quickly very bad um because what happens is what you're seeing doesn't match with what's what your brain thinks it should be seeing and so you get really dizzy and you throw up i mean it's that's i feel like it's easy explainable like this happens in real life too that's all that vertigo is is that what your eyes are seeing is what they don't expect to be there and it makes you very sick yeah so like if you're augmenting something it has to be spot on like as good as your brain is with like what you see is what you expect to be there when you turn your head and all that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. so yeah, getting that internal gyroscope off off balance is very bad. So yeah, so there's a delay in the rendering speed of the tank simulation. So people can play it, but only for about 10 or so minutes before they get really sick. Right. Uh, and also due to the nature of the technology they were using, um, again, like I said, there's this was this is scanner technology that they put into a VR headset. So the way that the scanners of the time worked is they had a red LED because that was, you know, think of like a barcode scanner. Like <laughs> red is just the best color to use for, for this kind of technology. So everything in the simulation is red. Like it's just printing a red LED on your under your face. So you're either seeing red or black. Yeah. This wasn't a big deal when they were just displaying info to like a doctor or somebody, you know, like if you're just reading numbers, like who cares what what color the numbers are but now they're building an entire world uh which means your tank was red the background was red the ui was red it's all red you don't have to make it red it's already red so i imagine okay this is this is either gonna make me sound dumb or it's gonna be something that you can relate to okay i was a very curious cat as a child and you you remember the old tv remotes where like you would change the station but like yep. every time that you clicked a button it would light up the like mm-hmm. led you shined it directly remember, into your eye <laughs> i remember one time like looking at it because i was like oh that's neat so i just kept pressing the button and like i remember that making my eyes sore yeah. i can't imagine what, like a whole like screen of them doing to your eyes like it's not gonna feel good the remote is infrared though 
different. So is that's different. That's I, different. I believe it's this. different. Uh, I because don't know. This is supposedly is... printing on your eye. Okay, so I say that. I'm 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 being a little facetious when I say that. Like it's right. not like shining a light into your eyes, you know? Like it's it's still got enough like refraction that it's not gonna burn your eyes to look at. Mm-hmm. But it's still essentially what it's doing. Like But is is this just a standard red LED though, or is this infrared? No, it's standard red LED. Okay, so it is different than the remote. It, yeah, but I yeah. get what you're well, saying. Well, I mean, the remote's but, still like shown up red when you would click the. Button. You can see it's, it's like. Have you ever looked at a security camera at, in a dark room? Yeah, and it has the mm-hmm. ring. That's infrared as well. Gotcha. You can see it like visibly a little bit, but it's not the same as this, as far as I know, anyway. Yep. See, and this is why we do tech ec- episodes. I'm I'm learning. I'm learning. This well, is edutainment. And also, I mean, not to not to get too pedantic, but. At the end of the day, isn't every screen just printing an image onto your eyes? It's a light source that's beaming onto your eyeball. Like, oh no, we're getting back into philosophy. Uh, well, uh, not really. <laughs> I mean, it displays on the image and then it lights it up and you see it, but it's not really exactly. But that's it. the light coming through onto your. Well, eye but anyway. the light's like shining on the screen, not out. Like the LEDs aren't behind your monitor; they're at the top and the bottom. Well, anyway, anyway, we're going <laughs> to do this. Okay, we're going well, anyway. to move on. But Bro, anyway. you ever think about how you look at pictures and yeah. then like you're living that experience? You guys ever just think about space? <laughs> All the time. <laughs> um, now, up to this point, you know, I've said all the bad things about, you know, this tech demo. Uh, but again, this is the early 90s. This is still an amazing accomplishment. Like, people had never experienced this before, and there was absolutely a market for it. So despite not seeing themselves as an entertainment company, Reflection Technology starts to smell the money in the air. Um, And as such, they begin taking meetings with toy and video game companies such as Hasbro, Mattel, and Sega of America. Sega! (laughs) President of Sega of America, Tom Kalinske. Hey! Yeah, if if you remember him from our Sega episodes. Um, He didn't want to take the risk of kids getting sick or getting hurt from the device. And he saw the monochromatic red display as a step backwards for the company. Because, again, they were coming out with the Sega Game Gear around the time. And all of their commercials were like, hey, we're better than the Game Boy. Like, we've got a full color display. Right. Because the Game Boy only showed in green and black, which is also important to the story. It's not not good branding to go back like that. Exactly. So the other toy companies also had similar issues. Again, the safety of the thing, like this is new technology. Do we really want to put a lot of money into like fledgling tech? Um, And so they also turned down the partnership. So starting to doubt the viability of their device, Reflection Technology decided to throw a Hail Mary. And as such, they scheduled a meeting with the biggest video game company in the world, (laughs) Nintendo. This is just, okay, I want to let you continue talking, but I... I already know where this is going because we're dis- we're discussing the Nintendo. Wait, what's it called? Virtual the Ninten- Boy. Virtual Boy. And like, <laughs> like how all these other like toy companies are like, no, it'll hurt their eyes. Like we couldn't do that. And then Nintendo's just gonna be like, yeah, screw your kids. I don't like kids anyways. <laughs> like, well, you might want to wait because. <laughs> okay, we'll see where it goes. Yeah, you, you, you <laughs> just save that. So, to, to try to explain how big and important Nintendo was at this time would take me literal hours, so I'm not going to do that, particularly because we already did it in Sega Part 1, so you can go back and listen to that if you're interested. Uh, but in summary, Nintendo is unstoppably successful in pretty much everything they've done up to this point. 
And Reflection Technologies' meeting was with the head of Nintendo R&D, Gunpai Yokoi. Yokoi was the creator of the Game & Watch systems, which were an early success for Nintendo, and he was also riding high at this time because he had just designed and released the Game Boy two years prior to universal success. Uh, now remember, as I've said, the OG Game Boy was green and black. So, you know, maybe this is a good fit, you know? Like, hey, they they don't have that problem with the full color, so... Right, it's fine. Your older sister loved it, and she got angry when you flushed Pokemon Yellow down the toilet. Why did you We've all been there. No, you flushed Pokemon Yellow down the toilet? I was like three. But still! That's the best Pokemon game. I don't remember flushing it down the toilet, if it makes it better. I actually made it no. up for this past Christmas. I got her uh, a copy of um, Pokemon Yellow in the box for Christmas, so... I've, nice. I've at least paid it back. Does it she have expensive. a Game Boy Color or Game Boy Advance? No, she, she doesn't. So now it's more like a trophy. Nice. <laughs> but I did get her back for it. So Yokoi was planning on spending one more year at Nintendo before leaving and starting his own company. Uh, however, when Yokoi had this meeting with Reflection Technology and got his hands on the tank demo, he fell in love. And he was like, I've got to stick around for long enough to see this through. Like, this is the future of gaming. I'll sit through your boring-ass meeting so I can play more of your game. <laughs> Yokoi's main motivation was that without the borders of a screen, you didn't have any distractions that were separating you from the game. Said Yokoi of the project, quote, I have my doubts as to Nintendo's future if it continues pursuing video games in the same way as before. If the TV screen medium has reached it, the limits of its potential isn't 3D the only option. End quote. Is it really 3D? Yeah, you have two independent images coming to your eyes. So, like, the 3D okay. is actually pretty good. Like, even people... I, I watched a video of a guy using it, like, two years ago. Uh, and he was he was still impressed by the 3D technology. Like, this... Again, it's not crap software, or like, it's not so even it's, crap it's, hardware. It's not like those headsets where you just drop your phone into it. It's like actually in well, some ways Even those are 3D, that. though, aren't even they? Even those are completely 3D. They show you two independent images. They split the screen. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Well, okay. So they had the approval of Nintendo's Golden Goose. Now they just needed approval from the executive board. Cultural antics ensue. Uh, I highly recommend reading the article for this story alone. But basically, you have this nerdy American guy who's trying to conform to Japanese business culture. Like, there's just a lot of things that he's, like, not getting. And eventually, he gets to the point that he's giving a presentation to the board of directors. And about halfway through the presentation, he looks over and sees the chairman of the board literally face, face down on the desk sleeping. <laughs> and he like just he's like uh and nobody's doing anything about it so he just like finishes the presentation like again he's american so he's he's like giving the presentation and, and he's got a translator um and as, as they're leaving he like turns to the translator and goes well that was a complete disaster and the translator says no no, no that was fantastic like uh the chairman was telling everyone that they could proceed without his involvement like that that was great like that means you're good to go <laughs> and he was just like Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> all right. That works. I, I'm going to start doing that during my meetings at work. There you go. Just... <laughs> no, I was trying to tell you that I don't need to be involved. Like, you have right. full empowerment <laughs> to do whatever you think is right. I trust you. Continue. I'm going to take a nap. Yeah. So, Nintendo gave Reflection Technology $10 million to begin work on codename Dragon Project. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> right? That's so metal. I love that. 
I'm already on board. If I if I'm getting on anything called Dragon Project, it could be the most boring thing in the world, but I have to be involved with it. Well, I that's love my it. thing. Is like they start with Dragon Project and end up with the Virtual Boy. Like, <laughs> come on, it's a bit of a step down, isn't it? Yeah, their marketing it's, it's needed bit. to work. <laughs> However, as Nintendo started getting more involved, they started to get cold feet, uh, and honestly, the reason is kind of ridiculous. And so ridiculous that it's kind of funny. Like, it's one of those things that you look back on and you're like, man, like, I get why you felt this way, but it's so stupid now. At this time, not much research had been done into the effects of electromagnetic fields on the body. So people thought that living near power lines could give you cancer. Right. And this I is mean, ridiculous. you say thought, but... Well, okay, so, well... <laughs> <laughs> this is ridiculous because electromagnetic fields are what power technologies like Wi-Fi and 5G. Right. Microwaves cause cancer. Exactly. And so that's the thing is like, this is the early 90s where we don't have enough research to tell people they're wrong. Right. Right. And I mean, you had a bunch of people that said things without the research. How many exactly. people, like just a dude on the sidewalk smoking cigarettes telling you that holding your phone up to your face is going to cause you cancer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, because he's, he's smoking a cigarette. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, 5G's <laughs> causes coronavirus, so. That's a good point. Yeah. Windmills cause cancer. I think everything has been said to cause cancer at some point or another. So, as such, because of, you know, the misinformation, Nintendo started worrying that strapping a pair of goggles that emitted an electromagnetic field could cause health issues. Um, and they didn't want to be on the hook for giving kids cancer. So. As such, they added reinforced metal to the outside of the components to mask some of the radiation. I mean, it is radiation, but... It is radiation. I'm sorry. Like, I mean, there's a lot of... Ra everything gives off radiation. So, I... Right. The color spectrum is... Is, is radiation. Control. Like, everything yeah. is radiation. So, if this isn't harmful radiation. Your banana will set off a Geiger counter. That's a good point. Will it, actually? Yes. Man, learning so many things today. <laughs> so... Like I said, they added reinforced metal to the outside of those components. And in addition to those metal reinforcements, the display ports, like where your eyes go, were reinforced with steel. And that was due to an eye specialist warning that misalignment of the display ports could result in formation of lazy eye. A lot of people disputed that claim and said, no, why would that happen? Like... Uh, <laughs> right. it, might, it might be blurry, it might be a blurry image, and it might your eyes might go out of focus, but like, no... But again, because somebody said it, Nintendo was like, well, we don't want that to happen. So they put reinforced steel around the eye ports. Like you do with a microwave. Yeah, it makes exactly. sense. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get the logic. I mean, yeah, I know again, the logic makes sense. It's just the reason they did it doesn't make sense. $10, we get some sort of email about this entire conversation. Someone's going to send us an article or something saying like, well, actually, like this does. But like, actually, the it, virtual boy is the reason <laughs> that coronavirus exists. <laughs> right. But I mean, yeah, logically, I, I get what, I, I get what you're saying. I get where they're coming from. But yeah. it, it's a little it's a little too much. So, again, they've added all these reinforced metal components to the virtual boy. Uh, which made the whole device way too heavy to wear on your face. So instead, they opted to make the device tabletop, and the user would just kind of lean into it like it's on a stand. Like, I encourage you to go look up a picture of this thing. It's on, like, a stand with two feet, and you kind of, like, just put your face in it. But again, like, think about that. Like, you're going to lean down, your neck is going to... Like, the back problems aren't going to be fixed. They're just going to be changed. Um, 
Do you not know what the Virtual Boy looks like? I actually don't. We talked about doing this, and I had to. He heard my te- he heard my click clacking on the keyboard. I did not know what it looked like. Yeah, look it up. This is why. Yeah, it makes it look so much less cool. It looks like uh, one of those viewfinders, like the ones that you click and see the different pictures in it. The, Except like, for toy. you have to stick your face down. You have to into stick it. your face into it. You can't bring it to your face. Anyway, this also eliminates any chances of you taking it on the go. Like, try to wear that in a car. Like, you can't comfortably put it on your lap and, like, use it. Like, there, it's completely, it's now just a tabletop device. Right. Um, and on top of all of this, Nintendo's legal team hears about all these medical concerns that, that are cropping up. So they start requiring that all of the packaging for every game and every system contain a warning about the potential harmful effects to avoid a lawsuit. And they require that the console remind players that they should take a break every 15 minutes. So every 15 minutes you're playing your game and it's like, hey, have you taken a break recently? Um, Your eyes could go lazy. Uh, So this (laughs) device actually had more warnings than a pack of cigarettes at this time. (laughs) Well, at least Nintendo's covering all their bases. Well, uh, yeah. But again, this is it's going to come back to bite them and we'll, we'll get into it. But. Despite all of this, and the fact that this was a new concept for gaming as a whole, Nintendo starts putting a lot of eggs in this basket. Like, they start referring to this project as their, quote, fourth console, end quote, on par with the releases of the Nintendo Entertainment System, the Super Nintendo, and the Game Boy. Like, this was the next generation for Nintendo. Uh, They also built a factory in China specifically to manufacture the, the Virtual Boy. Oh, that's a misstep. Yeah, exactly. Like they're, they're they're getting into real estate for this thing. Yeah, you can look into like the gameplay of these and like just looking at it not even through the like virtual boy like it it's not visually appealing at all. And I'm not okay. someone to get we'll, all we'll, we'll get into about. that. So because okay. because looking at it on a 2D screen it doesn't look impressive. And I've never played right. a virtual boy so I can't say for sure, but they say that trying to like compare it just by looking at it on a flat screen, you don't you don't get the experience, right? Right. But here's something else I'm saying is you still have to advertise it. And well, if well, I can look well, at the pic Okay, well, we're getting there. Hold off on that, because that's a whole thing. You're okay. right, you're right. And that's that's a topic that we'll get into. Now also not helping anything was the fact that they started calling this the virtual boy, which immediately calls to mind the Game Boy, right? So right. whenever people hear it, they're like, oh, this is the next Game Boy. And it's not. Like, it's it's just not. Like, they're, they're two completely different niches. Like, you can't take this with you. The Game Boy still has a big market. Which you would think that, that would be, like, the whole, like, boy part of it. Is like right. You have, like, your console, which is the man. And then mm-hmm. you have the boy, which is the small portable thing. Well, and originally this was supposed to be a portable device. But as it evolved, like, it just completely eliminated the viability of portability. I have to take it on the airplane with me. <laughs> exactly. So I can forget my Honestly, existence. you might be able to get away with putting this on an airplane. There's only one way to find out. We got to get a virtual boy. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you want us to do some field research, send us a virtual boy and two plane tickets for... Where do you want to go, Michael? Uh, um, Austin? Do Denver. Denver was nice. Denver. Denver. Let's go to Denver. Denver. So fun. yeah, send yeah, us two yeah, plane it, tickets for Denver th- and a virtual on, boy. Yeah, two plane Dick tickets head. and I'll sit at home and watch... And- why not three? Yeah, he has to produce us. You produce us. Exactly. <laughs> I can produce you from Denver. And me you know and what? Michael do the research. Make it make it three virtual boys. We need three virtual boys too. Okay, yeah. So just all um, that, and we'll do the research to find out if this works. Hey, hey in, Colin, on an airplane. Can I, can I get a can I get a internet check? 
How much is a Virtual Boy? Like, oh. if I wanted to get one. Okay, let's find out. Also, not helping anything, you know, comparing it to the Game Boy, the Game Boy is the best-selling console of all time that had come out by this point. Like, it's a lot of pressure to put on this console. And because of this, Yokoi, you know, Nintendo's golden goose, starts getting nervous about the whole thing, saying that he felt like he was being cooked slowly over a frying pan. <laughs> getting them sweaty palms. Yeah, seriously. I mean, he knows this thing kind of sucks. Yeah. So in addition, you know, I feel like I keep saying also in addition, like there's there just keeps piling keeps on. Piling. There's more and more and more problems. This is new experimental and highly specialized hardware. So it's not like people can just port current games to this thing and it sell, you know? Like, if there's an alternative that I can play this on my TV, you know, for it to be on the Virtual Boy, it has to include those 3D features. I mean, basically, that's it, the 3D features. Like, that's its whole purpose, because it doesn't have the head tracking. Like, I know I mentioned before, there's a whole thing about the head tracking. Virtual Boy cut that, because they, again... You can't put it on your face, so you can't move your head. So what's the point of having head tracking? And this is something that I feel like a lot of video game companies, particularly Nintendo, have learned since this point. Is that like when the 3DS came out, it was like, cool, you could play the 3DS games on the 3DS, but you can also play the old DS games. So like you have that new technology, but you don't have to use it. Where it seems like the Virtual Boy can't do that. Like there's no right. like games. Well, that and are even if you could, like working. imagine trying to play like a, a Super Nintendo game in red and black. Yeah. Like, that's what I'm saying. If there's any alternative, why would you want to play it on the Virtual Boy? Right. Okay, pricing is, like, some of the cheapest ones that are, like, refurbished are around 300-ish. And then I've seen Ooh. up to seven, 800. Ooh. All right, well, never mind. We are not getting our hands on a Virtual Boy. No. This is collector technology. Yeah, yeah, it is. I would love to get my hands on one. But I honestly, I would just like to play one. Yeah, I, I want to check it out once and then never boot it up again. Yeah, exactly. I don't like. want to yeah. buy one. I don't want to own one. <laughs> right. So because this project is pretty well kept under wraps, like they, they try not to talk about it a whole lot. Um, all the games are being developed internally by Yokoi's team. So at the same time they're trying to develop the hardware, they're also developing all the games that are going to be on it because they're not shipping out dev kits to like different studios to make games for it. Bad call. Bad Not call. what you do. And so as a result, a lot of the games end up being essentially tech demos. Like there's a pinball game. There's the first Mario Tennis, which I guess that's exciting. But like it's tennis. Like, you know, there there is a port of Super Mario Brothers not not the NES one, the one that was in the arcades where you're like hopping on turtles like in uh in the sewer. You know, the bad one. The, the bad very one. bad the one. bad one. The bad one. Yes, that's on the But again, <laughs> and these games are sold for full price. And like they're not games. The best game was called Wario Land, um, which had a lot of good sequels, and it was actually a real game. They had one real game and the rest were just kind of like mini games essentially that they were selling for full price. Right. The console was revealed to the world in November of nineteen ninety four to a collective eh. Like it was cool, but it was all red and black. And it was insanely expensive for what it was. Like, it would be retailing for $200, which was the same price that the Super Nintendo had retailed at the previous year. And the Super right. Nintendo is one of the best consoles of all time. Whereas oh, yeah. This and that's that's what I'm thinking right now is, you know, if this had come out in the 80s, like, it might have been cool. But, like, full disclosure, I was not alive in 94. But going back to, like, the Super Nintendo, like, Super Mario World is so aesthetically pleasing and 
I don't care if this is in 3D. Like, looking at the 2D shots, I know you say you can't compare it, but, like, looking at everything in red is not going to be aesthetically pleasing. Like, it's just not going to look good. Well, and do you want me to do you one better? What's that? This is coming out in 95, the same year as... As a PlayStation. The Sony PlayStation. (laughs) Oh, God. And the PlayStation had amazing graphics. Yeah, and it was absolutely massive when it came out. And for more information on everything we're talking about, go check out Sega Part 2. And so, anyway, in 1995, the Virtual Boy released, as we said, you know, beside the PlayStation, uh, to a PR nightmare. The media started seizing on all these warnings that were on the box. They start looking into it, and they're like, whoa, doctors are saying you can develop lazy eye and cancer. See, I don't mind lazy eye and cancer if the gameplay experience is worth it. Like, (laughs) And again, like I said sitting right beside the Sony PlayStation. The release was so poor in Japan that Nintendo decided to completely stop trying after only six months and only 140,000 units sold. Uh, Things were better in America, but not by much. Uh, Nintendo projected that American sales alone for the Virtual Boy would be 1.5 million by the end of the year. In December of 95, they had only sold 350,000 globally. Mm. So, to boost sales numbers, Nintendo of America partnered with Blockbuster to allow Mm. people to rent the console and a selection of games. Their thought process was, Cayman, like you said, how do you advertise this thing? Like, it looks like crap if you just look at a flat, like a flat screen image of it. If we can get people to use it, maybe they'll buy it. So that's that's smart. Yeah. That's a good idea. However, no amount of advertising could save the console. Nintendo began dropping the price in order to try to offload the product. And after 12 months on the market, the Virtual Boy sold 770,000 consoles. Most of these can be chalked up to the greatly reduced price. Um, like, they, they dropped it to, like, $100, down from 200 after, like, a couple months. And then, you know, uh, after a little bit, people said that they were finding them in bargain bins for, like, 30 bucks. And with that, Nintendo basically started phasing the Virtual Boy out of its marketing and long-term plans. And that's how the Virtual Boy died. Uh, And I say died, but I don't really think it ever lived. Like, it just kind of came out, nobody wanted it, and then they just started backing away from it. It just never really got off the ground. Yeah. And I... Can I I bring something up here? Because it's a bit of a joke. But I'll say, when you... When you, I, I assume that this article has to be a joke, um, but when you had me look up a picture, a picture of the Virtual Boy, or when you mentioned it and I looked up the picture, one of the first things I found was it says Virtual Boy Classic starting at 9999, then dropping to 2999 in three days. And I clicked on the article. I feel like the sentiment like really shows how well of a loved system the virtual boy is which is yeah not which is loved at not all. at all yeah it's, it's yeah. become the punching bag of like everyone always brings up the virtual boy is like and if you look up like the worst like product failures of all time it's always on the list like because this is nintendo we're talking about like they did not fail ever yeah and then the virtual boy which was not just a failure it was a catastrophic failure like it was a failure on all fronts and I mean, just even Nintendo, like, thinking, like, their biggest failures up to this point, other than the Virtual Boy, if you put the Virtual Boy aside and you talk about their other failures, you talk about the GameCube, 
which was an international success, just not their most popular. And then you had the Wii U, which was like a huge success, but like not as popular as the Wii U. Well, and again, those are those are much later. Like this is the first time. It's literally like their leadership fell asleep at the wheel. Mm Mm-hmm. That was a joke. That was a joke. uh, That was a joke because like because he fell asleep during the meeting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Table. Well, I mean, what's the guy who presented it to him? What's his name? Uh, oh, the, the, the guy from Reflection or the guy, Yokoi, the, the, like, Yokoi, Yokoi. Well, he wasn't really presenting, but he, he was kind of the head of the project. Right. So he was the head of the project, but he'd already done Game Boy and what was the other one? Game Gear, or I'm sorry, not Game Gear, Game & Watch. Game, okay. So he did Game & Watch and then he did Game Boy. Mm -hmm. Like, that's two massive successes. You gotta give him the slide on the, on the. Right. If I get one mistake for every two successes, I'm happy with that. That's Mm -hmm. good. Yeah, and that's the thing, is, like, he was still the golden child. Like, after this, he, like, basically moves on from it. He's like, we're not going to... And again, like I said, he he'd planned on retiring. After this, he goes on to make the Game Boy Pocket, which was another massive success for Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he eventually does leave. We'll get into it in After Notes. I've got a little bit more that I want to talk about before we get into After Notes. But, um... So we obviously know that this didn't hurt Nintendo all that bad. The following year, they released the Nintendo 64, and everyone basically forgot how bad of a failure the Virtual Boy was. Um, yes, the 64 is amazing. Oh my god, it was my first video console. game console. It made me fall in love with video games. Uh, Genesis. But once again, go back to our go back to our Genesis episode, exactly. or our Sega episodes. Um, yeah. So let's talk about what happened to Reflection Technology. Um, so in addition to the Virtual Boy, they were working on a piece of technology that would allow you to view a fax without printing it. It was very 90s. Um, and the incredible name that was given to this invention was the fax view. That sounds really good. No one was interested? That sounds fantastic. Nope. Uh, Okay. I would say it's probably way more expensive than just more paper and ink was. Oh, that's fair. This was the 90s. Nobody cared about the environment. Yeah. <laughs> Until Captain Planet came along and changed everything. <laughs> well, that was late 80s, early 90s, so technically he was already... Well, never mind. Continue. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> um, so because no one was interested, they, they moved on and tried to make a full-color private eye. Like, they were like, you know, it's it's the red that's holding us back. Like, if we could just have color, like, it'd be fine. I, I vibe with that. I believe it. Probably. I mean, a little bit that's better. A big, that's one of the big reasons. Probably yeah, the biggest. The but. Red. It's bad. Um, mm-hmm. But they ran out of money while they were working on it. They couldn't finish it. Um, so the, they closed up shop. And I kind of my only after note is, and I, I debated whether or not I was going to include this, because it it's not funny. It's pretty tragic. But people talk about the Virtual Boy curse. Uh, right. And this is an after note. So it's kind of morbid. Both Alan Becker, the guy from the beginning of the story, the guy who came up with this entire concept, and right. Gunpai Yokoi, the uh, you know father of the Game Boy, uh, the again, and also the two heads of the Virtual Boy project, one in Japan, one in America, both died within five years of the Virtual Boy's launch. Um, Yokoi died of a traffic accident, and Becker died of a burst artery. And they were both in like their 50s. Like neither one of them... Those Should aren't even died. related. You can die in your fifties. That's okay. No, I know, but like it. I know this is young. just one of they those like young. people. People are drawing synchronicities of things that should not be synchronous. Like I don't it, know. I think it's. I think it's kind of odd. Like, and again, there's. A, I didn't want to get into. 
before I before I hand this back off to Cayman for his topic, uh, I want to again highly encourage the read of "Unraveling the Enigma of Nintendo's Virtual Boy" twenty years later by FastCompany.com. Best resource if you if you like the story and want to know more, that's where to go. And they did all of Michael's research for. Yep, me, I so. literally just read the article. That's all I did. <laughs> oh, that's fair. Okay, so now I guess. You've covered the early history of augmented reality. Yep. It's time for me to get into the later history of augmented reality, something that I would say a lot more of our listeners should remember at this point. Uh, I'm going to be talking about Google Glass. Okay, Glass. Google, yes. <laughs> how to avoid being bullied for wearing Google Glass. <laughs> so we're going to kick it back to ancient history. Oh. No, not Rome. And no, we're not talking about Nixon. We're talking about 2012, wow. which for some reason seems like it's forever ago. Like I was reading a bunch of stuff about like all this stuff that happened in 2012. It does really seem like it was forever Coney. ago. Coney 2012. Yeah. yeah. So tw- <laughs> we all remember God, how that, that turned out. It just makes 20 like 2012 was not that long ago, but it seems like a century ago. So at Google's I.O. 2012 this is their annual developers conference like they still do google io every year it was held in mountain view california and the reveals were about as lackluster as they are every year Uh, there was a bit about the success of android and this is back when android was still using the green man logo with the clampy mouse and all that something they don't still use use the green man logo it comes up when you like update the phone yeah it's it doesn't really yeah it's rare that you see it but it's still there God, uh, they revealed uh, an unexciting Nexus tablet, which was not as good as an iPad and never will be. Yep. Uh, they revealed the Nexus Q, which could possibly be. Oh, it's not going to have its own episode, but it will definitely be in one of these like Is tech that episodes phone? that we do. No, it was a digital media player. It lasted about three months before getting axed forever. Great. Like they completely stopped supporting it. So if you bought it, like you're just screwed. Huh. <laughs> And of course, you know, they bragged about Google Plus and how successful it was right. and how it was like going to be the next big social media. It was like, we're catching up with Facebook. It, it's it's also been axed forever. Like, right. it's not yep. good. And so, you know, pretty run of the mill Google I.O. conference, patting themselves on the back a lot. And then, you know, the innovations would fail a few years later that were all presented. Standard Google stuff. Right. Uh, One product, however, was unexpected and had the potential to be revolutionary. See, something exciting had been queued up to be revealed by Google X, which is pretty much like the MI5 of Google product development. Like, they're, like, super secretive. Like, everything that's developed at Google X, you don't know about it until they decide to reveal it. You know they name themselves. Well, actually, now they're X, they're like X Industries, something like that. So they've slightly oh, they changed, but like they're still like X, because like yeah. X for experimental. X-force. Like we're edgy. Extreme. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that, I swear to God, the people at Google X probably think of themselves that way, or X Industries, whatever they're called now. They all wear leather dusters. So uh, I, I, Google X isn't like worthless. Like they've done like. They developed the Google AI, which has made them a whole bunch of money. Actually, like, uh, there's a quote from a Google representative that he said, Google X can do whatever they want to for, like, the next, like, 20 years because, like, Google AI has made us so much money that they, like, can't burn through it all. Mm-hmm. 
And then like they've developed like self-driving cars. Uh, they did some cool stuff with like salt magma batteries, which actually sounds exactly like it is like turning salt in the magma and using it to store energy. It's pretty cool. Um, but this particular year at Google IO 2012, they were revealing some wearable tech that they called Google Glass. Now the entire concept behind Google Glass is that it would become a part of your daily wearable smart tech in tandem with say like a smartphone and a smartwatch. So turning you more into a robot. Well, even at this point, were smartwatches even big by this point? No, they were just on the horizon. Mm -hmm. So that's the thing, like it's kind of all this stuff's being developed at the same time. So looking back from 2021, there definitely is a market for like wearable smart tech, like Fitbits, smartwatches, all that stuff. Like it's a thing. Michael's wearing one now. Colin, you wearing your smartwatch? I have it in front of me, but not wearing it. He has it in front of it, but he, he's at home. So, you know. I had to just put mine on. <laughs> so the, the Glasses smart job was essentially to augment reality. It was equipped with speakers, camera, and, you know, enough phone parts to make it like a legitimate computer for, you know, your face. Yeah, I remember watching this tag demo, and I was like, this oh, is amazing. Oh, I thought it was going to be awesome. Oh my god. I, I, I'm still Everyone kind did. of confused, why, Like, and I'm, I'm excited to hear why it didn't take off, but like... Right. I, I was in the same boat. I was there in 2012 when I saw this stuff. I was, I thought it was going to be the next big thing, yeah. and every, I'm not alone. Everyone did. So using Glass, you could like take and share photos of what you were seeing in real life, video chat, you know, relatively, like they wouldn't see your face, but they'd see what you were looking at, which I don't really get the point in that. Uh, you could like check your calendar and contacts. You could get directions from Google Maps and access the web. Like that all was that the sort big one for me was the maps. Like the maps where like you does could, look super it, would, cool. it just showed you like where to go. I was like, that's so cool. But there's a big problem with that that none of us thought about at the time. Okay, and we'll get there. We'll get there. But it, yeah. So like this was a neat little all-in-one package. So it was. Honestly, like by the time they released it, it weighed about the same as like a heavy pair of sunglasses. So like it was very compact in some ways. Now, instantly, like we're like we've been saying, Google Glass was a hit. Glass was routinely making the rounds on like morning talk shows. Every magazine wanted to do a write-up about them, and not just like tech ones, not just tech magazines, all magazines. Mm -hmm. Like even the iconic fashion magazine Vogue had a 12-page spread on the project on the product a 12 page spread on the product that's insane a time magazine named it best in a best invention of the year they always do like a couple but like is one of the best inventions of the year uh, the simpsons devoted an entire episode to the project comedy shows from snl like stephen colbert the daily show like all had to toss in their two cents on like the google glass it became a center point for the 2012 New York fashion show. Like many models were wearing the Google Glass down the catwalks hmm. in different colors to match their outfits, all that sort of stuff. Uh, everyone wanted to test them out. Like this, I'm not blowing this out of proportion. Like this was huge when it came out. And honestly, if you're listening to this pro, if you're listening to the podcast, you probably remember like they're publicly worn by Oprah, Beyonce, Jennifer Lawrence, Bill Murray, Prince Charles, like everyone wanted google glass for like a couple months <laughs> and all this fanfare all this fanfare was happening and the product hadn't even been released yet this is all before the release of the product mm -hmm. so it was being poised to be the next big hit it was I'm gonna being be honest, poised Damon, to like i was was it released 
It was released. I did not know well, that. Okay. relatively, relatively, okay. we'll get there. So it was poised to be the next big hit. It was going to change everyone's lives. In early third, in and in early 2013, Google decided to release the product to the world. Kind of. See, there was a campaign on Twitter. The objective was tweet what you would do with Google Glass with the hashtag. If I had glass and you might win the opportunity to buy a pair of Google glass for $1,500, which you could Jesus. travel to pick up in LA, New York, or San Francisco. They wouldn't even ship them to you. No, you had to go pick them up. And why, why might you <laughs> actually <laughs> had in your necks? Like why travel might you ask? But Michael did ask. Uh, so you had to go get them fitted and be taught how to use them. Of course. So that's it, a bad it was, product. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bad product off the bat. I mean, literally, so, like, what we talk about when we talk about UI is, like, if you need instructions, it's bad UI. And that being said, Michael codes, so. Yeah. He codes UI, too. Or whatever. He does computer stuff. So, yeah, a much easier route to get the glasses would be just to be a reputable Google I.O. developer. And if you're a, re a reputable developer for the product, and we, you know, this is what we've been talking about. You make the hardware, you give it to developers so that they can like work with it. Mm -hmm. If you were a reputable developer, you had the opportunity to buy the glasses for once again, $1,500. You still had to buy them. And which... did you have to go pick them up and get fitted? Did you only have one developer <laughs> yes. that could use them? Yes. Yes. It doesn't make sense. I That's don't dumb. Why it's a thing. Also, regardless. I mean, I've bought a lot of sunglasses. I've never been fitted for sunglasses. Why did I need to be fitted? Well, to be fair, I have been fitted for sunglasses. Oh, but that oh, was my like, name's Cayman, and I get really high in sunglasses. No, I no, lose no, no, my no. sunglasses. No, if you go to like a mall or something, they'll be like, kind of like, I don't think they really fit them. But you know, there's like that whole process where they're like, these ones will fit well with your face and these ones will fit well. I've only done this once and it was a gift to me. I'm not a sunglasses guy. Regardless. So if you somehow got the Google Glass in this like introductory phase, if you're a developer or if you're good enough at tweeting, uh, you could buy them for $1,500. And the big features of Google Glass revolved around three aspects. One, the Google Glass was pretty much a mobile phone, or rather it was a lot of the internal hardware that was straight out of a Google phone or I should say Android phone at this time because Google phone wasn't made. So it had 12 gigabytes of storage, a gig of RAM, speakers, gyroscopes, Bluetooths, all that stuff. Pretty much everything other than internet accessibility or GPS, which meant that you always had to use a mobile phone in tandem with it. Number two, the Google Glass had a pretty good camera, which gave it a lot of its functionality. Uh, the 5 megapixel camera was capable of doing 720p HD recording, which would work in tandem with other hardware to give real-time directions, translate written languages, and of course, take pictures. I think the coolest thing of that, one, the directions, is I remember being around in 2012 when like they showed the first promo video, mm -hmm. the directions were really cool to me. Yeah. I thought that like being able to translate written directions was going to be like the game changer because you could just wear them to another country and like read everything. You could read the menu, you could read the sign, blah 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 the third aspect of the google glass which is probably the most important is that the google glass had an easily accessible though out of the way display 
So it's very important to see the display, but you don't want it taking up all of your range of view. So in fact, the Google Glass used a liquid crystal on silicone, which of course is based on the LCOS chip from HiMax, filled sequential color system, LED illuminated display. Mm -hmm. I yeah. mean, to, you know, I mean, come on, for, this is elementary stuff, <laughs> right? So Basic. to further explain for you laymen. The display's LED illumination is first P-polarized and then shines through an right. in-coupling polarization beam, or a Who PBS for this? short, <laughs> yeah. to the LCOS panel. The panel then uh, reflects yeah. <laughs> the light and alters it to S-polarization to activate pencil Came pixel and, sensor sites. We don't have all day here. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and then the in-coupling PBS... Uh, no, wait. Uh, he's still going. And then in-coupling PBS then reflects the S-polarized areas of the light at what, 45 degrees through the out-coupling beam splitter to a culminating reflector at the other this end. This is not so real, finally right? And the what? And what? And then, and then and then and then and then it hits my neuron, and then my brain like translates that into useful information. Come on. Just and imagine then the, the outcoupling the beam splitter, which of course splitter. is partially reflecting mirror, going. not a polarizing beam splitter, Look at this reflects point. the culminating no, light another this. 45 I, I degrees into what? the wearer's Where eye. Where are you okay, pulling no. this from? I got this. And okay. why? <laughs> Just imagine the Pink Floyd album, and that's what's happening. Yes, yes. That's what's Dark Side of the Moon. Dark Side of the Moon is happening yep. in your in your brain. That's, that's what's happening. That was Google's explanation. And right. while I have not even the slightest idea of what it means, it does certainly sound very it impressive. It sounds like they know what's happening. <laughs> essentially, <laughs> essentially, there's just all this and like from all the videos I've watched, I've never gotten to use a Google Glass. Hardly anyone has. But there's a little prism up in the right hand side of your vision uh -huh. that's like kind of a screen. Cool. Yeah, great. That's what that's, all that means. That's like all, it yeah. projects that's onto it. But it's just, dude, it, <laughs> that's the thing. Google really wanted to make this sound intense. And while I'm sure that all of that is technically correct, that is ridiculous. So those are all the advantages of the project. You know, it's it's got the cameras. It's got the little screen. It's very mobile, computational. Now let's move on to the cons of the product. And I think there's really two huge ones that I need to talk about. Because the first con that really killed the project was privacy. Now, incredibly invasive in its design, it had the ability to record at any time without consent of the people around you. So I'm not saying that it would constantly be recording, although at a lot of times it might have been, but being around people wearing a camera on your face is going to make them uncomfortable. It's the equivalent of like walking up with your cell phone with the camera on and like trying to have a conversation with someone. No one wants that. So unless you're wanting to take them off, like for instance, before you use the restroom, walk into ATMs or have conversations with people, they're going to make people very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. For this reason, many municipalities and businesses banned Google Glass before it was even released because of privacy that. concerns. That's a good point. So, so much for being the next big thing, like mm -hmm. it's already been banned before it's even out. Furthermore, some of the apps that were advertised to work with Google Glass were very strange to say the least. And when I say very strange, what I mean is dystopian and nightmarish. For instance, one uh, app called Refresh. It was an app that where when you saw people, it would find their social media and bring up details about them. 
Because, you know, meeting a stranger and then being able to tell them their date of birth and relationship status is always super cool way to make friends. It's literally, right? it's literally turns the world into an MMO where everybody has a little name on top of their head. Exactly. So you know who's who. <laughs> exactly. It's terrifying. So, like, not very cool. I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of into that idea because I forget <laughs> people's names within five seconds of them telling it to me. So yeah. if I could right. just like, here's the thing. It'd be nice if it was like local storage. Right. If I could say, like, match this to a contact in my contacts list. So if I see someone I should recognize, it like pops something up over them. That makes sense. That makes sense. But then that person still has to be okay with one, you wearing a camera and talking to them. And two, the other big thing that I think is a con with Google Glass is that they do not look cool at all. Right. So you first you have to get someone to talk to you while you're wearing them. And I feel like this is something where like when I was thinking about this topic, what kept coming back to me was AirPods, mm -hmm. right? Because like AirPods work, like they yep. are popular. It was kind of weird, but it was like just not weird enough that like they're still cool. And now like when I see people wearing AirPods, I don't even think of them. Like when they first came out, I was like, that looks a little strange. Oh, yeah. Like, the, now it's fine. So I, I got the AirPods first and my grandma asked me if I had cigarettes in my ears. <laughs> they kind of do like, like when you take them out on? they kind of do look like uh the little tiny like things that you would put like an e-cig on yeah but but that's what i was thinking about like when you were talking about like the fashion show and like all the attractive people wearing them i was like i'm sure google paid them a lot of money just so they're they, like if they if we make them fashionable like maybe people for, will forget how stupid this looks yeah and that's the thing i don't i don't care how many celebrities wear them and how many fashion shows they're in no one's gonna wear something that embarrasses them and the google glass is embarrassing to look at yeah like essentially the google glass is it one they don't have any lenses at all so they look super weird it's just like a visor that you wear on top of your head and they have a big bulky prism on one side that, you know all those words i was saying earlier that's that's what it meant so they made you look more of like a sci-fi villain a part of a dystopian technology hive mind and less like a cool tech savvy influencer mm -hmm. How heavy the, were they? Uh, they weighed about as much as a pair of sunglasses. Okay. A pair of heavy sunglasses. Yeah. So they didn't weigh you, that much. But, that. you know, like I said, I mean, if you didn't get the reference, I equated them to the Borg from the next generation. No one no one watches that show. You're literally the only person that's ever seen Star Trek. Pretty yeah, sure you can call true. me a nerd. It's okay. But uh, regardless, like, they, they didn't look good. So for these reasons, Google Glass took a pretty big nosedive. Um, the product only had one consumer release with the Google Glass Explorer edition. And uh, in 2015, Google announced that they would stop producing this prototype model with a possible new model coming in 2017. Do you have sales numbers? Uh, no, I don't. It was probably in the thousands. Like, it's not very high. Because they also had, like, a lot of models that they, like, released to businesses. They did do, like, developer app support. Mm -hmm. Like I said, like, as we've talked about a few times. So they released a lot of models that way. They released a lot to like their internal people, some to celebrities. Um, and then they sold like a certain amount. Was it possible to get like, like a prescription? Like, could you get lenses? They had, they were supposed to be coming out with like glasses attach on mm -hmm. product. They're kind of doing some of that now, but not oh, on a Google consumer Glass level. isn't dead. Well, here, okay, here's the thing. Let me go ahead. Okay. So, in 2015, Google announced they would stop producing this prototype model with a possible new model coming in 2017, although another consumer model would never come again. On February 22nd, 2020, Google Glass companion app, 
quote-unquote my glass was removed from the google play store ending support for many of the google glass features and essentially killing the product wow like you essentially had, like even for those that already adopted like we're killing it you guys can't yeah. use it we're, we're breaking our toys and going home exactly like google just does this like if if one of the products doesn't work like you're out of your money because they're just going to kill off support for it and it's not going to work anymore and now while you may be ready for a sad little funeral at this point in the story Never fear, because Google Glass, although dead, lives on. Hurrah. Let me explain. While Google Glass never lived up to the dream of being the next big wearable tech and changing all of our lives, it did find a home in business-oriented model that Google released in 2017 called the Enterprise Edition. See, some businesses immediately saw the advantages of a hands-free device for work assistance and training. So literally what we were talking about earlier. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's why I was saying that's visionary when when yep. what's his face came out with that immediate idea, in, you know, 19 early 1980s, I yep. think is what you said. Yep. Like that's what it's being used for now. Mm-hmm. So, for example, DHL now uses the Enterprise Edition for its warehouse workers to quickly scan and move packages and it has seen a 15 percent average increase in operational efficacy since the implementation. Mm-hmm. Like That's wild. That's a huge percent. GE General Electric also uses glass to help with wiring jobs in some of its plants and has seen a 34% increased efficacy in box wiring processes. Furthermore, going back to what Michael was saying earlier, glass is even being used in the health field by doctors for quickly charting medical information, saving doctors an average of two hours per day in paperwork, and also being used to provide important information during surgeries, i.e. vitals, that sort of thing. So going back to that original idea from the 80s, it's actually still around with Google Glass. And the Google Glass Enterprise Edition has done so well, in fact, that in 2019, Google released Enterprise Edition 2 in partnership with Smith Optics. So now they're like kind of getting more into like actual glasses, although the fact that they're being used for businesses... They're mostly just something that you can put over your glasses, that sort of thing. Uh, So they're not really glasses yet. And so uh, all this to say, essentially, even though the original concept for Google Glass was a failure, the idea behind the product does not seem completely dead. I think that any of us can think about this and think like, yeah, it kind of makes sense. Like do something like that. It seems cool. And Facebook and Amazon obviously believe it because just this year, they're both releasing their own smart glasses among what is a surprisingly saturated market of little known competitors. Snapchat has their own glasses. There's a few like cycling companies that have their own glasses. Like this is growing. I do think eventually it will be a thing. Google crashed and burned. Mm -hmm. And really the thing that I think is going to set this off is recently it's come to light that Apple, I mean recently like in the past few months, but it's come to light that Apple which is like a technology company that makes phones and earbuds, something like that, I think. Have you heard of them, Apple? Uh, uh, are they like a fruit company? Oh, uh, named yeah. after Tim Apple? Yeah, yeah, Tim Apple. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 i heard of them. But uh, recently they've been filing a lot of patents related to AR wearable tech, and honestly, like... It seems like they're going to do their own version of the glasses, or they're at least thinking about it. And if any company knows how to make a product work in the mainstream, it's Apple. Like, they're the ones that take, like, well, they're not always, like, the original innovators. But, like, if you come out with something and it sucks, they can take it and they're... They perfect products. They perfect products. And also, as soon as they come out with it, it's cool. Like, imagine coming out with a square watch. 
I don't think it that looks that's fair. stupid. <laughs> I don't but think that's fair. Like it Michael, you bought it's one yesterday. I did. I you? bought one literally two days ago. Two days I'm wearing ago. a square watch, and when it came out, I said that looks stupid. I will never wear that. But now no. I'm wearing it. He's being critical. They, honestly, I think Apple just makes things work so well that like they have to. I there's a little bit of influencer in Apple, but if Apple makes glasses like. You can bet your money they're going to be good. And if Apple comes out and they're like, we're going to be like unveiling our glasses next month, I'm buying stock in Apple because I don't think that it's going to fail. So the I really wish you hadn't here is like Google tried, Google failed. Sure, it's still working enterprise. And like that BTB sells, like that's good business to business. Uh, it's going to take a little bit more work before we get business to, business to consumer. Well, the thing is, like, you have to think, Michael, what you talked about, the Virtual Boy, it was ahead of its time. But we are playing video games virtually now. Like, that is a thing. You have what? You have the Valve. You have the Oculus. Like, it's it's very much, or it's not called the Valve. What's it called? The Valve Index. Index. Yeah. Index. And Oculus, like, that is a thing that just in the past, like, what, five years has really caught on and is big. Yeah. I think... Honestly, we have another five, ten years well, before Google Glass or like a variant of Google Glass does eventually catch up. And on. I mean, the HoloLens, I think, is probably the closest thing we have to like a true augmented reality experience right now. Like, and right. it's still in its infancy. And and the thing is, it is shifting away from a consumer product to an industry product. So I can play I think, Minecraft on my table. I play Minecraft on my table. Yeah, nobody wants that. That's the thing is, is it's not it's not ready for a consumer market because yeah. nobody knows what to do with it. Like we're still struggling to find something to do with it from an industry side. So until we can figure that out, I don't think anybody's going to be using it as a day to day thing. Give it a few years. We'll we'll revisit. Well, we this were topic giving it a few years in twenty twelve. <laughs> we're we're revisiting this topic. I I'm thinking like five years before like. And like I said, Facebook and Amazon are both releasing models this year. Mm-hmm. Could work. Could work. I don't know. There's there's two companies that I don't want on my face, and that's Facebook and Amazon. Right. Yeah. That's really the big privacy thing. And I mean Google as well. Honestly, I I mean, yeah, I, I don't, don't I don't Google trust Google as much but as I, Facebook and like, Amazon. Yeah, but... Facebook and Amazon are are like big no no. Yeah. And for some reason I do trust Apple on my face. I feel like they're really good about privacy data. And I know some people will just they're, never they're trust They're taking any big all company. the data, but they're not sharing it with anyone else. Exactly. So good enough for me. At least I know yeah. where it is. Yeah. I mean, at least if at least if Apple becomes you know the one world government and takes over everything, like I'm at least fast. Whenever he becomes Tim America. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if if you don't understand that joke, uh, one time at a very high-profile conference, uh, Tim Cook, who is CEO of Apple, was called Tim Apple. Um, By a certain we'll, individual. We'll, we'll who, leave it who, there. Who may be orange man orange bad. Man, and who may be bad. <laughs> orange man <laughs> bad. Hey, there's, there's lots of reasons to not be happy with certain people, but I don't think that's a reason. I think that's a simple mistake. <laughs> But regardless, thanks, 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 Cayman. I really wish you hadn't. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know what? I'm gonna go ahead and say this. This was a good episode. I enjoyed talking about glasses. It was nice to get back to technology and something that wasn't completely racist. Uh, so, Michael, do you have anything else to say before I start closing us out? Uh, nah. All right. Well, you know what? 
Be sure to follow us on Twitter at IRWYH Podcast and on Instagram at I Really Wish You Hadn't. If you have any questions or comments, please, please, please email us at podcast at I Really Wish You Hadn't.com. Unless it is about Jedi, I don't want to talk anymore about it. Qui Gon wasn't good. And if you haven't yet, please be sure to like give us a sub, leave us a review on your favorite podcast network, even if they're really mean. Like that's okay. We'll be we'll be chill with it. Uh, it really helps us out to let us know what direction we need to take the podcast and what you guys want to hear. So yeah, Michael, go ahead and finish us off. I really wish you hadn't. Is hosted by me, Michael Bentley, and Cayman McMahon. Woo. We are produced by Colin Moore. Woo. Intro music by Tax Story. Our outro music is by Home. Please remember to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, just enjoy our current reality. It's really not that bad. We don't have to do that much to it to make it a good place to live. <laughs> and as always, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Mm.